We are continuing in our RSVP God series this morning, and I've loved this series so far. It's been amazing. We've been talking about what happens when we invite God and God actually shows up. And uh, what we've seen is just some incredible stories uh, in the Bible. But today I want to ask you uh, a question, and I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? Uh, some of you, you've got some fears, and, uh, and, and many of you, some of them are paralyzing fears for you. Uh, I'm going to show some pictures of, of some different fears uh, this morning for you. And so uh, let's take a look at the, the first picture. This is uh, a fear of heights. Anyone got a fear of heights at all? Yeah, uh, I do not have a fear of heights at all, uh, but I know growing up, my mother, she was, she'd be paralyzed. I mean, she would be like in the fetal position if she just went up just a couple of flights of stairs. So heights, people, a lot of people are afraid of heights. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. Uh, spiders. How many of you are afraid of spiders at all? Yeah, just uh, a few of them. Uh, and you're probably like all getting itchy and like, like, oh, are there any spiders around? Some people are afraid of spiders. My sister was deathly afraid of spiders. I remember sometimes growing up in the middle of the night hearing this scream because there was a tiny little spider in her room. And if there's a spider in your room, you can't sleep until you get rid of it, right? Well, how about the next picture? Fear of aeroplanes. Anyone know who that is? That's Mr. T. Mr. T had a uh, fear of aeroplanes. And there's a lot of people there. I've met people who've never flown in their life. I can't believe it. And they're like too scared to get on an aeroplane to fly. I really don't understand because there's more risk of something happening to you in your car than there is actually on an aeroplane. But like Mr. T, you say, I ain't getting on no plane. Let's take a look at the next fear that people have, snakes. How many of you are fearful of snakes? Yeah, you hate the thought of snakes. I'm going to gross you up this morning. I grew up and I had two pet snakes, and they would get out all the time. And you'd be watching the TV, and suddenly the snake would come uh, uh, along on the carpet. Snakes, like Indiana Jones, he was this macho guy, but he hated snakes. People are fearful of snakes. And uh, let's take a look at the next picture of what people are afraid of, the dark. I'm not going to ask this morning, I don't want to humiliate or embarrass any of you, but I wonder if any of you are scared of the dark, you know, when the light goes out at night. But kids are often afraid of the dark. My son cracked me up the other night because he goes to bed so early. He hasn't seen the dark for a while. And he woke up in the middle of the night and, and I had him and he looked and he goes, oh, hello, dark. He was like, hi, darkness. I was like, that's kind of weird and creepy that he was like saying hi to the darkness. But, uh, but people are afraid of the dark. And then let's take a look at the last one. The last one that people are afraid of. This is the one I am most afraid of uh, the most. How many of you are afraid of the dentist? Yes. How many of you are afraid of needles? Needles in the mouth? Yeah, that's me. Needles, needles in the mouth. I do not like needles in the mouth at all. But there's people who are afraid of lots of different things. Lots of people won't go to the dentist because they are afraid. But I think one of the most paralyzing fears that we have as human beings, one that we may not always like to admit, but we are very scared of, and that is the, that is the fear of being humiliated. 
right? I remember when I was a, a young school, a young schoolboy in elementary school, and this was back in the day before they had any laws to protect children. And uh, uh, it was gym class, and I forgot my gym clothes, and so our PE, our, our gym instructor uh, said, "Well, anyone who hasn't for, uh, has forgotten their gym clothes, you still got to do it. You just got to strip down to your underwear, and you got to do it." So I remember I had these little whitey tidies on, and I had to run around, and the, and it was like co-ed, so it was boys and girls, and I felt humiliated for the next five years because I actually was wearing a pair of whitey tidies at the time, and people saw me in them as well. But what you you find is that the the fear of being humiliated is something that often paralyzes us. The thought of having egg on our face has stopped so many of us actually stepping out and being all that God wants us to be because of this fear. And as you read your Bible, you will find every time that God shows up in big ways in people's lives, it it has taken what us Christians call a step of faith, and it's taken what the world calls somebody taking a risk on behalf of God. Now, the word risk implies an exposure to harm or danger. And people in the business world, they take risks all the time. They expose themselves to, to, to harm and danger or, 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 or the risk of loss in order so that they're in the hope that they can get out on the other side and be better off because of it. They weigh the risk with, 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 uh, uh, with what the benefits are and they often think the benefits are worth the risk. And the problem with taking a step of faith or what the world says a risk is that it could honestly end in failure. Not every risk comes off or pays off. It often, sometimes, if it does not, if it does not work out, it will, it will result in us losing out and often us being even humiliated. And when it comes to following God, we are not just to invite God, uh, or we, we are not just invited by God to take risks or to take steps of faith. But actually, the Bible says that God actually delights in us when we actually do take those steps of faith, when we do decide to take a risk for God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. That's some big terms. That's, some, that's, that's a big statement that the writer of Hebrews is making there. It says, anyone who wants to come to him, meaning God, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So God delights in people who will take steps of faith, who will take a risk for him. But the problem with this kind of living is this is that taking a step of, the, of faith into the unknown, there is always a possibility that God will not show up. And that's the problem with us, because if God was to show up every single time in our lives, we would be okay with taking steps of faith. We'd be okay with, 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 with doing these bold steps of faith, whether it's quitting our job or, 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 or giving more to, to, to different people or to, 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 to the Lord or, or, or chasing a calling or chasing a dream in our lives or, or, or going out and telling our friends and our family who do not know God, that they need Jesus in our life, in their lives. If if God showed up every time, it would be easy. But the thing about faith is, we don't know if God's going to show up or not. 
And that is what makes it so hard. And if God doesn't show up and we make steps of faith, then it can often result in loss. It can result in harm. It can sometimes result in danger. And often it results in humiliation. And because of our fear of being humiliated and losing out, we do not often make those steps of faith. And if you are like me, then I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I have this overwhelming fear that God will not show up. I have this overwhelming fear that God will show up. That I sense I know what God wants me to do in my life. I sense I know what my calling is and the things that God wants me to do. But what if I do it and God doesn't show? I think there's nothing in my life that is more fearful, that I'm more fearful, that's more paralyzing if God does not show up in my life. But this is what I've discovered. That faith is this. Faith is when our theology trumps what we can see. Faith is when our theology trumps what our eyes can see. And that's, this is what I mean by that. You may see all this danger. You may see all this harm. You may see that there could be humiliation and loss ahead of you. However, your theology should tell you that God is with you, that God has promised you will not forsake you, that that God goes before you, that God will provide for you, that God will protect you. And so what faith is, faith is is when our theology of God, what we know about God, trumps what our eyes are actually telling us uh, and what we are seeing ahead. So today I want to share with you a story of a man who became victorious over his fears and stepped out in faith towards God in a bold way, not only putting his character and status on the line, but he actually also put his own life on the line. So this morning we're going to talk about a man called Elijah. Now, Elijah lived in a time when there was a king in Israel called King Ahab. King Ahab was not a good king. In fact, he was a king who was very into himself, and he had a wife who was called Jezebel. I don't think that name needs any explaining, right? Jezebel, she was an evil queen. And they were very self-serving in all that they did. But their main issue was this. They had turned their backs on the God of Israel. And they started to follow a God called Baal. B-A-A-L. And so they started to serve this God. And part of, uh, of the, 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 the time that they were uh, leaders of Israel, they started to get rid of all the worship unto the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, God of Israel. And so they got rid of all the, 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 the priests uh, who, who helped make the sacrifices to God. They got rid of anything that looked like worship onto the God of Israel. And they forced everybody to start worshipping the God of Baal. But Elijah was uh, kind of uh, a little bit more headstrong. And he decided, I am not going to let Ahab and his wife Jezebel take the God of Israel out of Israel so he decided to stand up against it the result of this was that suddenly there was a warrant for his arrest and his life was on the line Jezebel wanted to take his life so they went searching for him so Elijah being a great man of faith decided to go and hide because that's what us Christians often do when problems come along we don't know what to do so we go to we go and hide And I'm with you. I've done it myself. So he went and hid. 
Well, suddenly God starts to speak to him and God starts to use him and God starts to show up in amazing ways in his life. Even so much, a bunch of ravens came and fed him. Not the Baltimore ravens, you know, uh, but, but actually like the, the, the animal ravens. I'm like, God could have thought of a more creative way. I mean, he could have like brought a beautiful swan or something, but he brought ravens. I don't know why, but he came and fed him. And so what we find, we find that Elijah's life is on the line, but Elijah has had enough of all this Baal worship, and he wants to show Israel, show Ahab, show Jezebel, and everybody who's following this God Baal, that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the real true God. And so he turns up at the palace. He turns up where the king is living. There's a guy called Obadiah there. And Obadiah, he is a follower of God. He is a faithful follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But yet he's kind of keeping it on the down low a little because he doesn't want his life to be taken. And so he's working for Ahab. He's working. He's got a high-ranking position in the, the palace. And so Elijah comes to Obadiah, knowing he would be a safe person he could converse with, and says, I want to see the king. And Obadiah says, no way. You have not seen the king. Did you realize that they are looking for you? That your life is on the line? There is a warrant out for your arrest, and they are going to execute you? And Elijah says, no, I want to see the king. And so we're going to pick up this story in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 16. It said, So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So, it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asheroth, who you have supported or have been supported by Jezebel. So here Elijah comes face to face with the king. The king is like, ha, that was easy. You like came to me. We're now going to take your life. And Elijah says, yes, it's me. Now what I want you to do, I want you to summon all of Israel to Mount Carmel. Bring with you your prophets of Baal and your prophets of Asheroth, which is, uh, was another uh, god that they worshipped. And Elijah was going to show them that the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac is the real God. So as Elijah stands before the king, there's a bounty on his head. He's not only hated by the royal family, but Elijah is standing there so confident that God is going to show up. And have you ever been in that place in your life where you just feel like you got faith on fire? It's like you got this faith and you're like, God is going to show up. I know if I do this, God is going to show. And so it's, it's like you throw, throw everything out the window and you just chase after God because you know God is going to show. And if you have been on this journey of faith for long enough, there will be seasons in your life when you will feel feel so on fire for God that you will feel that you are just like flying like Superman through the air and you can do anything because God is on your side. 
But let me tell you, there's also flip seasons in your life as well when you feel, where on earth is God? Is there even a God? There are different seasons that you go through in your life. See, this is a huge risk for Elijah. Not only is he in enemy territory, but there is a huge possibility that this day is going to be the last day of his life. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at this story. And there are four roles that Elijah takes on before we see God show up in amazing ways. And the first role that we see Elijah taking on is the role of the troublemaker. The troublemaker. Did you hear what Ahab said? He said, so it really is you, you troublemaker of Israel. See, Elijah had had a plan, had, had beliefs that were opposite to what Ahab wanted. The the, the role that Ahab believed that God had for the life of Israel was different to what Ahab thought. And because there was a difference between their, 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 their thoughts and their theologies, Ahab automatically labeled Elijah a troublemaker. The truth is this, Ahab and his wife Jezebel were the troublemakers. They were the ones that were shunning God and pushing God up, but... When you start to make steps of faith for God, you will not have to wait long for someone to start to use their words to cut you down. And I tell you, as you step out in faith for God, there will be those along the way who will try to cut you down with their words. They will try to say things to you that are not true. Try to get into your head so you believe that you are somebody else who you are not. Ahab tried to get Elijah to believe he was a troublemaker. See, whenever you step out for God, there will be those who will come against you. They will try to slander your name. They will try to challenge your integrity. They will be like character assassins, which means that your identity in life has to be firmly connected to who you are in Christ, not what others will say about you. And this is what will happen. If you do anything for God in your life, there will always be somebody or people who will come against you and say all kinds of nasty things about you that aren't even true. It happened to us when we started Generation Church in 2010. I couldn't believe it. We were starting a church and we had people say all this nasty stuff about us. And do you know who the people who were saying it? It was other Christians. Couldn't believe it at the time, saying we were trying to do all this and that. And, and, and it was this crazy thing. And, and we got to a place in the end, my wife and myself, where we had to realize what they were saying is not our identity. But our identity is in Christ, who God has called us to be, what God is calling us to do. And that is what we need to focus on. And all these character assassins around us and trying to say stuff about us and trying to cut what God was doing in our lives, they, we could not give them room. And notice, immediately, Elijah says this, you troublemakers of Israel. He said, you troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah says, no, that's not me. I'm God. I'm not a troublemaker. You are the troublemaker. Elijah did not give room at all in his life for the words of Ahab to sink deep into his life. See, when you take steps of faith, the risk is this, that your character will be attacked. But God is looking for people who will stand up to the lies and insecurities of others so that the truth 
of his word and his light will shine through. And and, and this is what has happened since the years we started Generation Church. A lot of those people who said all those things about us, they've come back years later and they said, we were wrong. Because when you put your identity in Christ, the light of Christ shines through and eventually people see Christ through that. He took on the role of a troublemaker. But we're going to continue reading. We're going to find out after he was a troublemaker, he took on the role of a patient waiter. A patient waiter. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 20 to 29 tells us this. It says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish to cut and cut into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other ball and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. From morning, early in the morning till noontime. They all just shouting. Nothing is happening at all. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I'm not sure if this was the most mature thing he did in his life. But sometimes we are people of faith and we're not always mature in the things that we do. He says, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. Typical guy, going to potty humor, right? It says this, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. This is a great story, right? (laughs) They They raved all afternoon. So now they're in the morning, they're shouting. Now they've cut themselves, but they've still got the rest of the afternoon to go. So blood is everywhere. It's kind of crazy. And he says, but there was still no sound, no reply, and no response. This is one of the problems that we see in life when we step out in faith, is that we want God to show up right away. Just like many business people who take risks, we want immediate results. And on the journey of faith, I found out that immediate results are seldom the norm. There is often a waiting period between the moment that we make a bold step of faith 
to actually seeing the evidence of God at work. Think about this for a moment. Elijah is a wanted man. His life is on the line. They, they want to kill Elijah. They want to just take him out. There is a bounty on his head and he has just made a huge step of faith to stand before the king and make himself open and vulnerable. He's taken this huge risk of coming out of hiding and I'm sure he just wanted God to show up, sort out everything and so he could get out of there. Because that's what we want when we make steps of faith. We think that, okay, God, I did it. Now show up. But the problem is, Life isn't like that. Often there is a separation between when we step out in faith for God and God showing up. Notice this. The prophets of Baal went first. And it was from early in the morning to late evening. Elijah had to sit there all day waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting for the the prophets of Baal to do their thing. And he had to wait. But notice this. He didn't have to just wait. He had to wait alone. And sometimes when we make steps of faith for God, we have to wait. And a lot of the times we have to wait alone. We as a church body, we are here for each other. We want to encourage each other and pray with one another and lift each other up. But there are times in your life where your brother and sister who is sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, they cannot help you. Because so often, God wants you to wait, and God is making you wait alone. And do not be surprised when you step out for God, and you will have to wait, and when that waiting is done alone. Often, when we step out in faith for God, loneliness is a huge thing that happens. But I believe that often God does it so that we rely on Him even more. So, 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 so we are not leaning on other people or other things, but we are looking to God and we are waiting for God. See, sometimes God leaves you waiting because He is working on you. He is working on you so, so that you become all that God wants you to be. But there are other times God leaves you waiting because he is working on others. The timing may be right for you, but it may not be right for others. And then there are times when God leaves you waiting because he is creating an environment for a greater miracle. And I think that is what happens in this situation. Elijah had to wait and wait and wait. And I think God was using this waiting so a greater miracle could be performed. So that they could see God in all of his glory. See the power and the wonder of God. And if you are in the waiting period right now, I want to tell you, get your theology straight. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. You are in his thoughts. You are in his plans. God has not left you hanging. It may feel like God is not showing up, but there is purpose in the waiting. And God will show up at the perfect time. So if you are in a waiting period right now where you're thinking, God, are you even going to show up? I tell you, God has not forgotten you. You may be waiting because God is working on you. You may be waiting because God is working on others. Or you may be waiting because God is creating an environment to perform a greater miracle in your life. Elijah became the patient waiter. The third role that Elijah took up was the spiritual rebuilder. The spiritual rebuilder. It's what it says, 1 Kings 18, verse 30. It says, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. 
They all crowded around him as they repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces. There's lots of cutting in this story. And laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill large, four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. I'm thinking, Elijah, what are you doing? I'm like, water and fire don't mix very well together. Then it says this. After that he had done this, he says, do the same thing again. Elijah is just feeling it. He's like fierce today. He's like, God is going to show. God is going to show. And when they were finished, he says, now do it a third time. So they did, and he said, as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. So now the waiting period is over. The prophets of Baal have done all their thing. It's now time for Elijah to step up to the plate. It's now time for Elijah to hit the home run, hit the winning score, get it all over and done with, and and, and go home, and everybody will know that the God of Abraham of Isaac and Jacob is the real God. And most people would have been like a bullet out of a gun. They would have gone as quick as they can, as fast as they can. Let, 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 let's get this thing, get this show on the road. Let's get this thing done. But Elijah shows us that it isn't always about how fast we can go. It's about first setting up the priorities. The Bible tells us that Elijah starts to repair the broken down altar. Years of Baal worship had broken down the altars of God where they had worshipped God. They had offered sacrifices to God that they had come and consecrated themselves to God. The altar was the place of sacrifice. It was the place that man met God. It was the place that man invited God. It was the place of unity amongst the people. It was the place of holiness. But all these years of Baal worship had broken down the altars. And I believe this is probably the most significant part of this story. See, it takes bold faith to speak out for God, but it takes humility to recognize the need to rebuild the altar of God. Elijah took the time to rebuild the altar. And I have a feeling that Elijah knew that God would probably not show up until the place of consecration and offering had been rebuilt. I just wonder. See, Elijah did what he could do in the natural. He rebuilt the altar so that God could show up in the supernatural. And we talked about that last week with about fasting. Fasting is about doing what we can do in the natural to give room for God to do what he can do in the supernatural. And I ask you today, what altars do you need to start to rebuild in your life before God will show up? What are the things that you need to rebuild? What are the things that you have maybe neglected? What are the things that just the years of just living life has has caused areas in your life to be torn down and neglected? 
You know, as, as a church, we have a huge vision for this church and what we want God to do in our community. But I know that before we even scratch the surface of what God wants us to do, we have to start rebuilding the place of consecration and holiness to the Lord. See, I believe if we don't get our worship rights or our prayer rights or we get our theology rights, then we can go out and do outreach after outreach. We can go and speak to all our non-Christian friends as much as we can. But if we don't get the altar rights, I'm not sure if God's going to show. Because God is looking for people who are willing to rebuild the place of consecration and altar. And so before Elijah did anything, he rebuilt. And then finally, after he became a spiritual rebuilder, the last role he became was a fire starter. There was a, 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 a band years ago in the UK called Prodigy, and they had a song called I'm a Fire Starter, a Twisted Fire Starter. And I'll be honest, I read this and I just kind of sing that song. Not the most holy song in the world. But this is what it says. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36. It says, At the same time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And he went to all the people, saw it. They fell face down to the ground and cried, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. I mean, the story had to end with some killing, right? I mean, there's been lots of blood and swords and things. Elijah went up to the altar and fire came down from heaven. This is what this story is known about. Elijah was known as the prophet who called down fire from heaven. Elijah prayed to God and God showed up. Elijah had made a huge step of faith. He'd even poured water on the altar to make it even harder for God. And then he showed everyone that God was God. The amazing thing about this story is, reading between the lines, I have a feeling this is what happened. Suddenly, Elijah steps up to the plate. And suddenly, he's got a few little butterflies. His stomach's turning a little. He's thinking, hmm, I really hope God shows up. I really hope God shows up. I can imagine it, Elijah just silently praying to God, God, please don't let me be humiliated. I need you to show. And you can see it in his prayer. He says, God, answer me. Oh, God, answer me. Please answer me. And while Elijah knew that fire would not come down for the prophets of Baal, for he knew they were a false religion, there was no guarantee that God would show up for him. And this is the risk that we take when we take steps of faith. There is no guarantee that God will show up. 
But that is what faith is all about. The last week of, of, of this month into the first week of August, we're going to be praying and fasting for just certain things. And, 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 and one of the things we're going to be fasting for is just our building situation. And I'll be honest, as we pray and fast, there's no guarantee that God's going to show up and God's going to say, okay, guys, there's this nice, big, shiny building just down the road that's going to facilitate everything that you need. There's no guarantee for that. But that's why we do it. Because it is by faith that we please God. And it's by taking those steps of faith. It's when our theology trumps what we can see. All I know is that God is pleased when we humble ourselves before him. And we push our fears aside and we follow him. And my experience in life, and I'm not the oldest person in the house, but I'm not the youngest either anymore. I've been living this life of faith for long enough to to know, to confidently say this. My experience has always told me that when you step out in faith for God, God always shows up. Always shows up. Elijah did not make a bold step of faith so he could become a superstar. It's not like he was signing autographs after. If it was up to Elijah, Elijah probably would have stayed in hiding with the Baltimore Ravens. Yet, I think God showed up because Elijah stepped out for God so that God's glory can be revealed to others. And if you make steps of faith in order to serve yourself, then don't expect the fire of God to fall in your life. But when you humble yourself, stand up for God, attach your identity to Christ and who you are in Christ, be patient in waiting for God and consecrate, consecrate yourself before the Lord and then make those bold steps of faith. One thing I can guarantee, and that is God will show up along the way. And when God shows up, lives are changed and communities are transformed. And I believe if we want our community here at Generation Church to be transformed, then we need to stand up, consecrate ourselves before the Lord, make some bold steps of faith and we'll watch God do some amazing things not only in our church in our families in our friends in our co-workers with our neighbors the people in this community around here we will see God do amazing things because God shows up when we make bold steps of faith let's bow our heads in prayer that's why your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning we're going to finish this service just with one more song And some of you, you need God to show up in your life. You feel like Elijah sometimes that others are just looking at you and pointing fingers at you. That some of you, you feel like Elijah in the fact that you've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. It feels like you've been waiting all morning, all afternoon and all evening. And God just hasn't shown up. Some of you, you know there's some areas in your life that have been neglected or been torn down. And you need to start rebuilding those areas of your life. Maybe you've neglected your marriage or neglected your kids or neglected 
the Lord, neglected serving, neglected Bible reading or neglecting prayer. Maybe you've neglected reaching out to others. Maybe even you've neglected your body and spiritual mind. And then there's some of you today, you're on the cusp of God doing great things and your knees are knocking and you've got butterflies in your stomach and your stomach is churning and you're praying, God, please, please show up. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray for you and And after we pray, we're going to sing this song and we're going to declare in faith that God is with us. God is for us. He's not forgotten about us. He's not left us hanging. But also we're going to declare that God will show in our lives in major ways.